Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Friday, March 10th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. We got a lot to get to, including uh, the end of the Derek Kellogg era at UMass. But I want to start with a wild Thursday of championship week. TCU upset Kansas. Kansas State upset Baylor. Duke upset Louisville. Xavier upset Butler. Notre Dame upset Virginia. Like I said, it was a, a super wild Thursday. What's the biggest takeaway for you, Matt Norlander, from a Wild Thursday of Championship Week. Um, I was in New York. I, I was at Barclays and Madison Square Garden. Uh, plenty of takeaways overall from the day. Kansas losing, I think, is the biggest story. Although, I do think it's a case where if Josh Jackson had been on the floor, they wouldn't have lost to TCU. Um, I do think they lost their shot at a number one overall seed. Villanova is now in the driver's seat for that. So that's probably... The biggest thing. But, I mean, as we turn to Friday here and, and you know, we're recording this Friday morning and <laughs> there's going to be so much that changes over the course of the day. You know, getting Duke Carolina um, certainly in the semifinals is, is pretty cool and pretty big for the ACC tournament for the first time, you know, that it's in Brooklyn. You get the best possible matchup you could ask for in terms of the, those teams in that bracket breaking that way. So that's also a pretty big deal. Um, Bubble-wise, you know, I was... I, Xavier's for sure off. They they beat Butler on the neutral, so they're they're safe for good. Um, man, I don't know. It was uh, it was definitely a a good fun Thursday. Um, it, Baylor lost. I mean, the Big Twelve tournament is just weird at this point. Uh, it's, it's almost taking the place of the Big Ten tournament in terms of uh, weirdness. Although Michigan playing in his practice uniforms was really cool, right. an interesting look as well. So uh, plenty to take away. What kind of stood out to you? I, I think the biggest story is probably. I, I think the it might be what you touched on first: setting up Duke North Carolina for Friday night in Brooklyn. Like that's that's you know Friday night in New York City. Um, typically, when Duke and North Carolina play, it is on national television, but it originates from Chapel Hill or Durham or Greensboro or Charlotte. Um, they played other places, but uh, that's usually where it happens, in the state of North Carolina. So the idea that now it's going to happen in the media capital of the world is pretty neat. They have played in New York before, 1971, NIT. Did you know that, Norlander? I did. You know what? I did, but I didn't. Now that you mention it, I remember like knowing that, but I did not know until you just said it. 1971, NIT at Madison Square Garden, North Carolina, beat Duke. Uh, but this is the uh, only the second time they played in New York City uh, ever. First time since then. This one, of course, at Barclays Center. And I went on SeatGeek earlier today, and we'll get to more about SeatGeek in just a moment. But I went on SeatGeek uh, earlier uh, this morning. Cheapest ticket you could get, way up in the upper level, 208 bucks. If you want to get in the lower level, cheapest thing I could find was 365 So this is a, a hot ticket, certainly hotter than a a Brooklyn Nets ticket because I went to a Nets game a few weeks ago when the Grizzlies were in town and we uh, we got lower level tickets for like four bucks. I'm just kidding, but we did get like they were they were f- much less than than three hundred sixty five dollars. So I, I think setting up Duke Carolina in New York City on a Friday night, like that's not only uh, terrific for the ACC tournament, like that's terrific for for college basketball. I mean that's. That's appointment television for casual sports fans, for casual college basketball fans. So Duke Carolina uh, inside Barclays Center on Friday night, 
uh, getting that set up on Thursday with Duke beating Louisville and Carolina destroying Miami uh, was pretty interesting. But, you know, maybe the biggest surprise was TCU upsetting Kansas because one of the teams is TCU and the other one is Kansas. I think I, I saw a stat last night that it was the first time TCU had beaten a top five team in like, I don't know, like 17 tries, or it might have been more than that. It was something like this is very rare, not only for Kansas to lose its first game in the Big 12 tournament, but for TCU to uh, beat a, a team of, of Kansas's caliber uh, on a neutral court. Obviously, Josh Jackson not being there was a big deal, and if I'm Bill Self, I use that as a teaching lesson. Like you sit down with him and you look him you know, right in the eyes and you say your, your stupidity, your repeated stupidity cost us. It cost us the number one overall seed. It cost us a Big 12 tournament title, possibly. Um, it may have gained us some rest, so it like, could turn into a positive. But, you know, the truth is Bill went out of his way to not publicly discipline Josh Jackson previously. I mean, when you got a player kicking a car, a female basketball player's car, doing that kind of damage, he should be suspended. Like, there's no getting around that. And uh, he wasn't. And... Uh, you know, whatever. I'm not going to rant for seven minutes about it. Uh, but then he went out and did something else stupid, which left Bill, given the way the Kansas City Star has reported on this, given the Josh Jackson backstory that we know, like he's out there doing something else stupid, like they were forced to suspend him. But Kansas went out of their way not to dis- not to publicly discipline Josh Jackson. I mean, really, like really out of their way. And uh, I mean, uh, think about it for a second. Grayson Allen gets a suspension for tripping somebody on a basketball court. Josh Jackson doesn't get a suspension for kicking in a woman's car. Like, think about it in those terms. Yeah. All right? Right. So, so they went out of his way, out of their way to not suspend him. And then he does something else stupid to put them in a situation where, from a public relations standpoint, they just can't they can't not suspend it. So they do, and then it costs them. So if I'm Bill, I'm, I'm looking at Josh Jackson saying, this is on you. This isn't on Carlton Bragg. This isn't on... Devontae Graham missing a good look at the buzzer. This isn't on uh, Svee fouling a three-point shooter inside of three seconds. Like, all of that's unfortunate, but this is on you. You're the one who created this. And hopefully he learned something from it, not only uh, as it relates to his college career, which will be over soon enough no matter what, but, like, take it forward to the NBA. There's There's real consequences for your stupidity. And Josh Jackson, I hope, found out about that yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and the other thing, by want. the way, um, every yeah. time I rank Caleb Swanigan as the uh, national uh, front runner uh, for Player of the Year, I hear it from Kansas fans uh, consistently about Frank Mason. And listen, Frank Mason is awesome. I have him second. Like the idea that you could have somebody as the second best uh, option for National Player of the Year in the entire country, and somehow that means you don't respect them, just seems a little silly to me. Frank Mason is awesome. Has been awesome. And he's doing things for an awesome team. But Caleb Swanigan, by the way, is also awesome. And I think he's been the most individually impressive player this season. And it's not like he's done it for a middle-of-the-pack team. He's done it for a Big Ten champion, a a team that won the Big Ten by multiple games. Like, he's posting numbers that haven't been posted since Tim Duncan was in college since 1997. He's doing things that haven't been done in the Big Ten since Rudy Tomjanovich did it in, like, 1970. Like, he's double-doubling, leading the nation in terms of 2020 games, leading the nation, like he has been awesome. So I understand why somebody else might go with Frank Mason, but the idea that it's crazy to go with Caleb Swanigan is crazy to me. Like if you're just blinded by your Frank Mason love, if you don't think Caleb Swanigan is a real option for National Player of the Year, if not the option for National Player of the Year, my point is this. 
How do we know Josh Jackson ain't the most important player for Kansas? I know when Josh Jackson plays, they don't lose to TCU. Somehow he doesn't. This is the first time he didn't play all year, and they take the worst loss they've taken all year? Maybe those two things are connected. Kansas fans out there acting like Frank Mason is Devin Downey. Maybe, maybe Frank Mason ain't Devin Downey. Because Devin Downey, you can look this up, Norlander, if you want to. Devin Downey never lost to TCU. Not on a neutral court, not anywhere. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. And shouts to you too, Terry Teagle. Okay. So Terry Teagle is like a permanent shout out now too, apparently. Okay, gotcha. I, I didn't know if this was a phase, but it's clearly, it's clearly a permanent thing. Gotcha. Um, I don't really know where to go with that. Other than, <laughs> I, other than I largely, I think I agree. Um, About Frank Mason not being Devin Downey? Yeah, just the whole thing. Um, Jackson being <laughs> important um, and like Jackson being a top 10 player of value, in my opinion. Uh, I've got him as the second best freshman this year overall to Alonzo. And... Real quick on Purdue, because I had something that I posted yesterday. Um, it, it, regarding Swanigan, Painter's got this interesting thing. As you watch Purdue in the Big Ten tournament and then next week in the NCAA tournament, um, Purdue does not play – Painter does not play his three uh, highest scores at the same time. They're never on the floor at the same time. Or at least they're almost never on the floor between um, Swanigan, Isaac Haas, and Vincent Edwards. And now they're all three bigs as well, but – Painter realized that having them on the floor at the same time wasn't productive. He wasn't getting the most out of them. So um, if Swanigan and Haas are on the floor, Edwards is not. If Haas and Edwards are on the floor, Swanigan is not. And if Swanigan and Edwards are on the floor, Haas is not. It's just really interesting. You almost never see that because conventional thought would be put your three best players on the court at the same time to give yourself the best possible chance at, at winning. And Painter doesn't do that. In Big Ten play, they've only been on the floor for like four minutes out of a possible like 750 or something like that. It's 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 wild. So um, I don't think anyone else in college basketball is doing that. And it's just an interesting thing to watch. In terms of Kansas, I got nothing else, man. I, I agree with Swanigan really pushing. This is why we don't name player of the year at the end of the regular season, because what you do in your league tournaments to uh, improve your seating and then um, – in the NCAA tournament, that's why we wait until the week of the Final Four to announce. So this will certainly, possibly give Swanigan a chance to uh, to leapfrog Mason overall. That's all I got. Real quick before we move on, Kansas State, like you mentioned earlier, did upset Butler. You think that does it for Bruce Weber? You think they're in the NCAA tournament? I mean, upset Baylor, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 no. Um, the Baylor win for Kansas State is going to be enough, I think. And... I mean, does it save does it save Weber's job? Probably, I think. I mean, I would think I, it I should. Will, I will say this, and I wrote a column about this a few weeks ago, or last week, or whenever. I do not believe you should get caught up in the last two weeks of a season. I know. Okay, right, right. right. Here, here's here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying keep Bruce. I'm not saying fire Bruce. I'm just saying whatever your decision was a month ago. Like that, that should probably still be your decision today. Whether it was keep him or fire him, I don't care. I, uh, it is, uh, it is very rare. And this is why you hear people all the time say that's a big win for his career. It's very rare for a coach who makes the NCAA tournament, particularly at a school like Kansas State, to get fired after that. But it is not unprecedented. Tubby Smith was fired after making the NCAA tournament at Minnesota. You, ben Hallam was fired after making the NCAA tournament at UCLA. Oddly, that was in the same year, and those two teams played each other. Like, Tubby and yeah. Ben played each other in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Jordan Adams had broken his foot, I think, so UCLA suddenly without its leading score. And Minnesota beats them. Then Ben gets fired. Then Tubby gets fired uh, by the new administration that 
um, had come from VCU and they wanted to hire an up and comer as opposed to Tubby Smith. And so they went out and hired uh, Richard Pitino. But I digress. Uh, Bruce, I, uh, so I guess what I would say is this no matter how I think about how you should have a coaching decision, it is true. Getting hot late and making the NCAA tournament can save your job. And Kansas State has gotten hot late. I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I won't be surprised if it also saves Bruce's job uh, to the extent that it, it would have needed saving anyway. Um, let me tell you about SeatGeek real quick. Uh, quick Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's not confusing anymore. That's a byproduct of, of SeatGeek, and you're going to want to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. Here's what I did this morning. I wanted to know, uh, like, what are the tickets going for at Barclays Center, Duke, North Carolina? I went to SeatGeek. It searched multiple ticket sites for me. It handled everything. Within seconds, I had all the seats that were available, how much they cost, learned very quickly. It was uh, expensive, so if you don't have uh, disposable income, you shouldn't even try it. Uh, But if you do and you're in the New York area, uh, go look it up. And honestly, if you're in any area of the country and you're thinking about going to a basketball game, not just a college basketball game, NBA game, baseball game, concert, doesn't matter. Make sure you use SeatGeek next time because they're going to search multiple ticket sites. They're going to find the bright, best price for you because they handle price comparison. They do all the work. You save time and money. So here's what I want you to do. Go download that SeatGeek app, purchase tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. And SeatGeek is going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. As a promise, SeatGeek sends you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. I want to switch gears real quick, get away from the basketball court a little bit because you wrote a story this week about um, the plane crash uh, from two years ago that claimed the life of uh, Illinois State Assistant Associate Head Coach Tory Ward and six others connected to the Illinois State uh, men's basketball uh, program. You talked to widows. You talked to Dan Muller, the head coach there. You talked to other family members and folks just uh, connected to this tragedy uh, in 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 various ways. Uh, you did a wonderful job with it. I know that the the people who were um, uh, so closely uh, affected by this uh, genuinely appreciate it. Um, some of them have uh, reached out to me uh, to pass that message along. Uh, to you or just to say that you did a good job with it. So I know it was a tough story to write. I've written about death before. I've talked to uh, people who have uh, been uh, had to go through these uh, unimaginable situations before. Those conversations are never easy. Uh, Trying to put them into words that uh, will will just do the story proper respect is always a burden. Um, I think you did it well here. Uh, and I'm just curious, like uh, about the process, um, about yeah. the time spent, uh, about how you feel now that it's done and out there for the world. Yeah. All right. Um, wasn't sure we were going to hit on this because uh, this is kind of a quickie podcast uh, leading to the games. But yeah, um, you're supposed to start by saying was... thank, thank you, Gary, for the kind words. Thank you, Gary, for the kind words. You're welcome. Uh, would, wouldn't object to another tweet out there to kind of spread it around. Um, and. Yeah, so this one was really tough because of the subject matter. It was really tough because I did all of it in the process of basically nine, ten days, called 16 people, was, you know, more than 22 hours worth of interviews over the phone. Um, most of the people I talked to uh, had to stop in the middle of interviews to cry, some of them for more than 60 seconds or two minutes. 
Um, the women were incredible. Uh, the things that they shared. Um, there's plenty that's not in the story. Uh, there was plenty that I didn't include because I promised the widows that I would not make it um, too detailed or gruesome because eventually their children are going to read this story. There's a there's a number of children here. Uh, Thirteen the, the seven victims are survived by thirteen children, and eleven of those thirteen I think have not entered high school. So. Um, you know they're going to read it eventually. So I, I, you know, they were there were some were extremely concerned, um, but yeah, it was not easy. Um, part of my motivation to write it was this happened the day after the final four. It technically happened the night of the final four, um, eight, two years ago, and the media was traveling back home. It was kind of like a blip, nationally speaking. Like it's affected that town and they are still living with this, you know, on an every week basis, so to speak. And the family's obviously on an everyday basis. But I initially went into it because I wanted to see how Illinois State as a basketball program had been affected. And then once I talked to Mueller and he gave me a couple of numbers to the widows and, and I talked to the AD, I just knew that I could not simply make this about the basketball program. It was just... They're very a couple of the guys who died were just enthusiastic boosters uh, for Illinois State. Um, so it was uh, it was hard to, to write this. Um, I wouldn't want to do it again just in terms of the time crunch and the amount of time spent. I don't you know, I'm proud of the story and I don't regret writing it. I, th I think it's something that needed to be out there. And uh, yeah, the, the support for it has been overwhelming i do uh encourage if you have not read it to uh please go and read it it's at cbsports.com or just check my twitter page uh a link to it is pinned at the top of my profile um and i think it's respectfully done and there's also a mystery to it and that was also part of it the plane crashed and there's still not resolution to that they don't know why it crashed it was bad weather um but you know, the fogginess would have not necessarily been the reason that it, the crash happened, but it might have because it was getting uh, thick and foggy. And there's also the possibility that the pilot who was, you know, a really, really good pilot um, was in the armed forces. You know, did the plane have malfunctions? Malfunctions. We don't know. Um, the NTSB has not resolved its case and the women involved, you know, some of them, I think, want a resolution for closure. Others told me it just simply wouldn't matter so um i'll also post either later on friday or saturday I, I mean i spoke with florida coach mike white who knew tory ward really well tennessee state coach mike i mean dana ford who knew him well was on the staff with muller uh dana ford actually played at illinois state so he knew almost everyone that was on the plane um just got some good perspective from them as well and yeah it's also backdrop to illinois state being a bubble team i don't expect them to get in um but this kind of, you know, I, I wrote it knowing that, oh, wow, Illinois State might be in the tournament as well. Um, you know, there is timeliness to this. Uh, the two-year anniversary is coming up. So that's kind of uh, all of it in a nutshell. There's, there's plenty, though, that um, I can't really speak about on the podcast, on the record, in public forum. That was just, you know, very powerful details. But, you know, my endless thanks to everyone who, uh, who spoke for this story. It was it was unbelievable, the things that they shared and the things they went through, and I'm just really appreciative of it.
Yeah, I knew Tori uh, really well because um, I live in Mississippi. Um, my wife's an Ole Miss graduate, and uh, Tori was an assistant coach there on Andy Kennedy's staff, along with Michael White. So I've known <clears throat> all those guys, uh, AK and, and Michael and, and Tori, uh, you know, for forever. And I remember waking up that morning to that news. It's like, what? Like, you just, uh, it's just not something you expect to wake up to. It reminded me a little bit like, you know, one day uh, out in Vegas, waking up to the news that Skip Prosser had died. Um, you know, and like, what? Like, I was with Skip literally the day before he died, sitting literally next to him in a gym in Las Vegas. Like, you know, like, it, it was a nothing conversation, but like, it was a conversation on like a, I want to say it was like a Thursday. And then on Friday, you look up and, and what? Like, I, I remember getting the phone call that something like skip, something might've happened to skip. And if I remember correctly, Shaka smart was an assistant at Clemson there. And I knew he was tied into that whole scene, you know? And I, I texted shock. It was very early out in Vegas. And I was like, is this true? And he was like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's, and it's like, what? Like, and this was very similar with Tori. Like he's, you know, I, I, I even on the morning that I heard the news that he had died, uh, I, I like you know my. I remembered getting a text message from him from him just a, maybe a week earlier, and you know I was on CBS Sports Network doing uh, half times or or post game shows, and he was at home watching, and he just texted me like something really nice, and I hit him back, and like you know we were joking around back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and then like the last thing was like, you know hey let's catch up soon or hey man I'll give you a call real soon you know that's what I said that's what I texted to him, and then like you do in life. You know, you just get busy and you got your kids and you got your family and you never actually make that phone call that you said I'm going to make. And then you never get to make it. And I, I, I assume that's true in, in any sort of sudden death that there's always people out there who like, you know, I wish I'd have reached out one more time. I wish I'd have had one more conversation. But uh, yeah, it was just a, a real kick, kick in the gut because Tori was somebody I, I thought you did a good job of describing. He was a big personality and he was fun. Like he was it was a lot of fun to be around like um, in addition to being good at his job, he was just a lot of fun to sit down and have a drink with. And so, uh, uh, yeah, like that, that story is, uh, still one that you wake up every once in a while. And it's weird to think that Tori's not here with us anymore. Um, but if, yeah, I, I would, uh, same as Norlander said, if you haven't read it yet, uh, go dive in. It's at cbssports.com. Last thing before uh, we get out of here, Derek Kellogg was fired at UMass after nine years um, another guy I've known forever because when I was the Memphis beat writer at the Commercial Appeal, DK was a part of John Calipari's staff at Memphis. The staff, I believe, was Tony Barbie, uh, Derek Kellogg, and Steve Rockefeller, all of whom are uh, went on to be Division One head coaches and all of whom have now uh, been fired. The Calipari coaching tree, um, and I mean this with all due respect because I like all those guys, but it hasn't been uh, successful. I won't say whether it's good or bad. I'll just say it hasn't been successful in a big way. Tony, of course, took UTEP to the NCAA tournament. That's how he got the Auburn job, uh, but it didn't go so well at Auburn. In fairness to Tony, it's not going so well at Auburn since then either. Um, they just lost to Missouri in the freaking SEC tournament. DK had nine years, and I guess this is one way to look at it. He got nine years at UMass, and if you can keep a Division One job for nine years, it, it suggests you're doing something right. Um, but, you know, after they lost to... I guess it was St. Bonaventure yesterday, almost immediately after the game, they informed him 
that uh, they were going to make a coaching change. Had one NCAA tournament in nine years, so now an Atlantic 10 job is open. And if you're looking for candidates, there's going to be a whole bunch. But here's an interesting name that I've heard uh, from multiple people connected to it. Keep an eye on Yale coach James Jones. Now, that's sort of outside the box, right? Like James Jones, he's been at Yale forever. Um, The connection there is that the UMass AD worked at Yale for eight years, oversaw men's basketball for the past five years before he got to UMass. So there's a real connection between he and James Jones, a great relationship, I'm told. He's a really high opinion of James. So I'm not telling you James Jones is going to be the next coach at UMass. I'm just saying he's going to be somebody whose name, who's connected to that opening, uh, who might not be in, in different situations. But because he's got such a great relationship with the uh, UMass athletic director, um, he's going to get serious consideration for that UMass job. Also in coaching news, just quickly, uh, Bob Williams was essentially fired at UC Santa Barbara. They're just going to let his contract expire. He was there 19 years, uh, went to the NCAA tournament, I, I believe, three different times. But uh, this past year was, was not so good. Uh, so UC Santa Barbara would be looking for uh, a new men's basketball coach. If you uh, enjoy living in a beautiful place, perhaps you should perhaps you should apply for the job. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy Selection Sunday. And maybe we should talk this out right now. Yeah. Record a podcast late Sunday night. Yeah, we're, well, let's do it late. I mean, Sunday is such well, it's gonna a have to be late. I'm wild. I, I'm waking yeah. up Sunday. I'm here in New York uh, in studio today and Saturday. CBS Sports Network. <clears throat> then I'm waking up on Sunday and flying to Atlanta. Uh, this year's selection show is 90 minutes show. Uh, it's going to be uh, Cl- uh, Greg Gumble, Seth Davis, and Clark Kellogg in New York, and then Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, and me in Atlanta. There you go, right? Look at GP. Yeah, so I'm doing. I'm going to be in Atlanta with Charles and Kenny and Ernie on Sunday. So that's going to be a lot of fun because the the show is going to pop back and forth from New York to Atlanta, from New York to Atlanta. Uh, this first time they've ever done it like this. And so uh, I'll be, I guess, off the show as soon as the show ends and then back to a hotel and then we'll get a bunch of work done. But uh, if you're up late on Sunday night, we will have a new podcast loaded in iTunes. If you get up early on Monday morning, it'll be there for you, I promise. So check out that. Like I said, enjoy the weekend and uh, we'll talk to you again late Sunday. Till then, uh, take care.